Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Undiscovered You, a podcast for people who feel like they have so much more to offer, but are somehow stuck where they are. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnston, and this season, we're talking all about playing the hand you're dealt. I'm extremely excited to have Samantha Owa with me today. Samantha, you are an inclusion diversity expert at a huge financial institution, and I am so excited to have you on our program. Thanks, Kimberly. It's lovely to be here with you. So, Sam, I would love to just take us back to the beginning. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up. Tell me a little bit about your childhood and tell me a little bit about how you ended up in the UK. Oh, wow. So um, I was born in the UK in a lovely place called Salford, which is in Greater Manchester, um, to wonderful mum and dad of Nigerian heritage. And I had with me two older brothers. Um, however, um, only being in the UK for a couple of years, or I was about to, when my dad needed to return to Nigeria for family reasons. So we actually went back to Nigeria, the whole family, and I lived over there for about 10 years. Okay, so you were and, born, born in the UK and then went back yes. to Nigeria and kind of spent those formidable years in Nigeria for about 10 years. So I'm about 12, so I'll okay. be 12, yeah. And it was at the age of 12 that I returned back to the UK, but this time returned to South London. So in Stockwell, which is a very close to Brixton. And that's where we settled. And pretty much that's where I spent most of my teenage years and went to high school, um, Stockwell Park School for most of that. So yes, um, and I suppose it was a re-acclimatizing to the UK because if you can imagine, a two-year-old toddler really wouldn't have been able to understand the UK culture. So my cultural reference at that point in time was strongly um, Nigerian and very much um, the UK was very alien to me. And I can remember really vividly the first time I saw snow, I was absolutely amazed and um, I hated the cold. You can truly understand that. And I couldn't understand why I couldn't wear my flip-flops in the cold um, or in the snow. I quickly learned that, by the way. Um, <laughs> but the biggest um, transformation for me, really, was education, because that's, that's obviously the most part of my teenage um, life. Education in Nigeria, for me, was very focused. You were very respectful of your teachers. You understand your the hierarchy of um, position in the school. And your purpose for being in the school was to learn. And education is um, valued very highly in, in my Nigerian culture. But in the UK, the school I went to felt very different. I could remember vividly one of the students talking back to the teacher. And in fact, I think maybe even using a swear word. And I can remember being totally shocked by this, expecting some magnificent thunder to, to, to strike and somebody to land on him with the force of Armageddon or something like that. But the teacher just said, leave my classroom and stand outside. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what's a lack of respect? What's this mm-hmm. world I've come into? I, didn't, I don't really understand it. So it took a little while to get to, gra- um, to grip with all of the sort of cultural differences, especially in that setting of, um, of a school for me. And I can imagine uh, during that time, did that, did that also kind of distract from your studies a bit as well because you're doing that huge shift or were you still able to focus? Well, um, twofold, because in the first instance, I focused on my studies in the same way I did in Nigeria, thinking excellence was the only way. 
um, then I saw, I suppose in essence, I experienced that education maybe wasn't as valued by my peers next to me and they were not paying the same attention and focus to it. And inevitably, as you can imagine, at a very um, easily distracted age, that's how teenage years can be, I did get distracted along the way. But I had a really amazing English teacher. And I remember vividly, and I always um, retell the story to my daughter, um, just before my GCSEs, I remember pulling me to the side and saying, Sam, I you're frustrating me and I said oh I'm sorry and she goes you're very very talented you're more than capable but I just see you just letting this slip away what you must understand Sam is in this world a black young girl like you will not get very far if she's not fully highly educated and have evidence to show that and I said Okay, because I didn't really think, and I suppose a 16 year old, um, sorry, a 14 year old, 15 year old might not think too much far ahead. And I remember saying to me that if you want anything out of your future, you've got to knock her down. You can get all the highest grades across all your subjects. But if you keep on this sort of relaxed approach, you're not going to get very far as well, as, at all. So get down and do what's necessary because it's really important for your future. And for whatever reason, that just really hit me right in the center of my heart. And I was so sad because I hated disappointing my teachers. Mm. I was one of those students who, who never liked disappointing teachers. So I remember going home and crying that night and then almost having like a massive mental shift and thinking, OK, I'll show her I can do this, that I'm more than capable of doing this. So, yes, I just knocked it down and I, I, the library became my favorite place in the old world for the next year or so until I completed my GCSEs and knocked it out of the park I imagine yes <laughs> I achieved in my whole school was was asked to return to do a presentation to recognize I was the highest achiever of my school for the GCSEs that, that year <laughs> love it I love it and I just just uh, just want to pick up on that you know there there are moments in your life where somebody says something to you you yeah. recognize something and, and sometimes you can take that on board and you can, you can 16 year old shove it off your, you know, shove off. And I don't want to listen to that. Yeah. Or you can take it on board and you can change your whole life. And, you know, Absolutely. and also on the flip side is take a minute to invest in the next generation as well. Take a minute to take aside those kids who may be acting out because they are bored out of their minds. They're so intelligent. They're actually bored out of their minds and that's why they're acting out. And just say to them, I know that you're probably bored and that's probably why you're acting out, but you are incredibly intelligent and you could do so much with your life if you'd apply yourself. And they may roll their eyes and walk off, but that might stick with them. You know, that might be the next Sam. Absolutely. <laughs> well, absolutely. And I always think to myself on, on reflection that actually the power of the intervention was that it was unexpected. Mm. It wasn't what she should be expected to do. But it was just one day on the corridor, I was going home and she called me into a room and said, Sam, come in here, let me talk to you. And one, it just tells you that sometimes we think about people, don't we? And we think about how we can help. And some, But sometimes we, we may think it's not right to intervene. But genuinely, I, I'm a great believer now that if an opportunity provides itself and you can see that you can just share something of yourself with somebody else, take it up and do it because you just don't know the difference is going to likely make to them and it is their choice they can choose to take it on or they can choose to not 
But what actually you might be able to do is trigger that thing that maybe has gone quiet in their heart, that they just needed somebody to come along and give it a little jolt so they can burn the fire back into their soul and, and drive them to do whatever else they want to do. And, and how so, yeah. true is that also in terms of working environments? You know, you have people that they, they feel like they're floundering or, you yeah. know, they may be your developing performers. They may be people who, you know, you don't have on a talent grid somewhere. And actually they probably have so much to offer and they're, they just haven't had that fire lit. They haven't got that person that believes in them. They haven't got the mentor to help them. And so, you know, let's just all, I mean, if everybody that listens to this, take a look around you and see if you can identify somebody that's like that and see if you can pour into them just a little bit. And hopefully that could change the world. <laughs> One person at a time. One person at a time. One starfish at a time. I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> so um, talk me through this. So you've done your GS GCSEs. You have yes. absolutely excelled at them. And what came next? Well, the next moment was by this point, my mom, um, I should sort of re reference back that while we were in Nigeria, my dad died, which was, um, you know, awful. And because of the social structure in Nigeria, my mom didn't have the, I suppose, the expected um, fallback position, which you have in the UK, such as um, social services or somebody to help in terms of if you lose a, um, your um, particularly your breadwinner in the family so my mum had to go to work so um myself and my brothers were met were looked after by our aunties so as they always say to raise it or your children especially in Nigeria is used done by a village not necessarily mm -hmm. by just one person but um going back to the story when because we had both a UK passport and a Nigerian passport and the situation in Nigeria at that point was not um really really helpful to um trying to progress in the world my mum decided we should come back to the UK but um she still had responsibilities in Nigeria because my grandmother was still there so long story short I lived with my brothers during my teenage years so um I can't imagine how to explain um and my brothers are about seven and six years older than me so they were only maybe the very late teens or I think my oldest brother was 20. So by the time I finished school, um, so you can imagine all the distractions at home. So by the time I finished school, one thing was also very clear. I did not want to live with my brothers anymore. <laughs> I liked them, I loved them, but they were so annoying. And I wanted my own independence and I wanted my own, uh, my own space. So I made a decision as soon as I received my GCC that I was going to leave home. So, um, pretty much by the age of 17 I've left home so really um big moment for me I rented a room and I can't imagine that being possible during these times because of um the world we live in now but I was able to get a job I was able to enroll in college and I also got myself a room and a shared house and decided to forge my own way in the world and see where that takes me at 17. At 17. Unbelievable, Sam. Okay. So we have nailed the GCSEs. We are now living on our own with a job in a room that you're paying for yourself. And are you still living in London at this point? Yes. By this point, I moved to Wandsworth, oh. which is also southwest London. But um, yes, um, near Gareth Lane. I'm, I, 
which was a, a lovely corner of Wandsworth. I lived yes, in I know, years. I know Wandsworth well. <laughs> it's a very nice area. <laughs> so we're living in, and what are you, what are you studying in college? So for our U.S. listeners, um, college and university are two different things. Is that right? They are indeed. So um, college, I suppose, would be an equivalent of somebody staying in high school until they passed their, I'm trying to think the exam you passed to go into university, which is college in the US. I'm trying the to SATs. confuse myself. Yeah, exactly. SATs, yeah, SATs, yeah. So um, college over here allows you to do our um, equivalent, equivalent of the HM of A-levels, which is for getting access into university. So I did mine in wait for it and um, maths social science or sociology and biology wow nothing to so do with finance so i was far. gonna say definitely headed towards <laughs> being a doctor there not finance <laughs> okay so you got and and i i imagine knowing you again i imagine you did quite well <laughs> yes um however i suppose then you have a quandary again and this is another moment um in life where so your standard of living is still, well, for my myself at that point in time, it's still a bedroom in a shared house. Mm. Um, at this point, I was actually able to be earning quite um, a good salary in the role only job I had, and I was still going to college. So then came, do you want to go to university and continue this experience, which then meant actually at that point, I had to quit work because university wasn't a situation which I could continue working, do my um, being university and um, and also still have, I suppose, the freedom that I have come to get really used to and I was really, um, really happy with. So I had a critical decision to make. I either went to university or I accepted that I could follow the career path in the, in the role I was in because I was being given so, so many opportunities and one of the opportunities was to go into management within that mm. role. Interesting. So um, I thought about it. Management meant more salary, meant more freedom, meant I could get a bigger place versus going to university, no money, living in student housing, and not really sure at that point in time, I suppose, what my future plans were. Because one of the things that to, to say on this journey or should I say, two things were really focused at all times with all decisions I made. I needed the safety and security of a home, whatever that looked like, and I needed the safety and security of an income to make sure that home didn't get um, jeopardized. Mm -hmm. So therefore, as long as those two were really looked after, other decisions needed to work around that. So with that in mind, I decided on completion of my A-levels, I wasn't going to go to university. I was just going to go to work and continue on that career path. I think I think what you just said there is so important is keeping that kind of, what is it that is at the core, what you desire? And for you, yeah. you have that, you have exactly what you know what it is. And and some people, you know, you you look at what's at the core and some people it's it's, you know, I want to be able to, tell people that I am at certain, a certain level. It's about, you know, pride and position. It's about having received a university education. It's about, you know, I want to be able to make my family proud. A lot of people say that, you know, I want, yeah. I have a lot of societal pressure on me to do whatever. And it's when you take the step back and actually recognize why are you going to university? And 
you know, I've spoken to a few guests who actually have chosen not to go to university for various reasons. And what I find amazing is some people go back and get the degree later. Yeah. Some people choose not to do that at all and have just plowed forward. And um, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's an exceptional decision to make when you have the option in front of you. If you don't have the option at all, it's, it's whatever, when you have that option in front of you um, and just knowing actually this is the better path for me. So let's say that somebody is in that. I, I don't know if anybody listening to podcasts is in that exact situation or if they're facing some something else where it's kind of like the societal pressure, the family pressure, all of that's almost telling you to go in one direction, but you know, logically in the foundation, I want these two things, this, if I go on this path, they will give them to me. How did you make that choice? What did you draw on for that? I suppose I, um, I always draw on in terms of any sort of life decision. I reflect back on what are the things that makes me very happy. And one of the key fundamental things that makes me very happy is security. I like the sense of security. So when I make a decision, I always think about what decision gives me that ongoing security I need to be happy. And for me, the security comes from the stability of a home situation and the control over my own outcome, whatever that may be. Mm. So any decision I make that unstabilizes that security or threatens the opportunity for me to be able to bring that income into my life immediately for me always feels the wrong decision to make. Interesting. And do you think you've known that for a long time because of your the way that you've grown up and kind of the experiences yeah. you've had? Very much so, because I think a lot of what happens to us in our childhood informs the things that we hold on to really tightly as really precious to us so that we never feel maybe any the way we felt then. Because when we're young, sometimes things happen to us and we don't have the opportunity to have any control over that. So it happened to me that my dad died, which then meant our home life was totally different which then meant we had to move. I didn't have the opportunity to be with my siblings all the time. I didn't have the opportunity to be with my mom all the time. And that was super unsettling. Now, don't get me wrong. At the same time, I noticed it's one of the reasons I have such strong tenacity and strong, I'm really strong in terms of making sure that I only control what I can because I, I couldn't control everything else going on around me as I was growing up. But as soon as I was able to be in control of my own life and be in control of what my outcomes can be, I grasped that opportunity. And I've since then always made sure I never let it go because it's really important for me to be able to have that sense of security. Yeah. And you touched on something that's also really important is that kind of sphere of control and looking Mm. at looking at things around you. And, you know, we're we're at a point right now, we're in 2021, where we're just coming through this pandemic, we're living with the pandemic, I like to say we haven't come through it. It's not over. We're just living with it now. And, you know, that that's something that's out of all of our control. We have no one has any control over that. 
Um, you know, but you do have control over certain things and it's to recognize the things you do have control over and recognize the things you don't and to be able to, to deal with that in, in whatever way you need to. But I think, I think that's a fantastic life lesson and you're absolutely right. We are shaped by the way that we were raised. We're shaped by our families. We're shaped by, you know, so much of our culture and we need to recognize those things as we're making decisions that they're important to us. And when you're making the decisions, make sure that the values that you were raised with, the decisions that were made for you by your parents and by your culture and all things are ones that still sit well with you. Because sometimes you need to have that moment of breakaway where actually you look and you say, I don't actually want what they want for me. Like if you, if you come from a, a, a culture or family where they want you to be successful, have your name on a door, you know, have a bunch of letters after your name, make X amount of money, you know, and that that's the pressure that you've been under your whole life. And actually you realize that foundationally, you just want to make a difference. You want to make other people's lives better. You need to break away from that as well. So I think, yeah, taking that time to do that self-reflection is really important. Very, very critical. And yes, I was of the, um, of the most Nigerians will probably tell you this, where your parents total hope for you is you're either a doctor engineer accountant some lawyer some kind of profession and if you're not somehow is it it could be a really great disappointment to the family <laughs> and you have to carry the weight of that with you everywhere and you will not be the child that they introduce first when they're talking about their many children and their achievements it's always the one that's the lawyers first oh have I told you about my son the lawyer so you can imagine my mother's joy when I told her I finally decided to go and work in the financial institution and she was oh my goodness it's my daughter that works for a bank love it introduced <laughs> first introduced first so let's go to, let's go on to that so you are working um and you're you're kind of getting into managerial experience is this the same yeah. financial institution that you are with that you're you went all the way through or did you swap what what happens now so at that point i joined a management training program with mcdonald's so that is my seminal decision moment so i love it mcdonald's decided i wasn't my part-time job I was wasted. I needed to be one of their management program trainee. So I went to Hamburger University. I did go to another university, but I, I always remind people that Hamburger um, University is a wonderful university to go to, to learn, to pass your management um, training program. So yeah. I worked for them for a few years and I and went along on their management program and I enjoyed it enormously. And I did learn loads. And although, you know, people might look at them as a fast food chain what an organization does not you know make that kind of profit or grow at that rate by being just a fast food chain and I'm, and it's because they have really strong um management development structures and programs in the background which I benefited from so I'm super grateful that they gave me that opportunity so that is the journey that I had to managerial and then I crossed over from being a manager at McDonald's to working for the financial organization into one of their um, retail branches in South Southwest London that, that was the journey career-wise and were you doing management then did you go straight into management when you went into the financial institution no because um, there wasn't a managerial role and this is a sort of a um, maybe for once in my life, maybe I did think about my mum for about 
in my decision making <laughs> because obviously she wasn't introducing me as the first child um, who works for um, McDonald's restaurant PLC. Um, so I remember when I um, decided I needed to change careers because the working environment in McDonald's, the hours were not conducive to trying to have a bit more structure. Mm-hmm. So I wanted a bit more structured working pattern and a friend recommended working for them. But the friend recommended working for them in one of um, as one of the customer service assistants, um, which it felt like was a backward step if you were thinking that you were going from manager role into a customer assistance role. But when I had a conversation with the hiring manager, I remember he also then said, but it's just a starting point. It could be an entry point and it doesn't have to be necessarily your final destination. So I trusted his um, guidance and I applied, yes. And I started in Halifax Building Society. That's what um, as a customer service assistant in Southwest London. That's fabulous. And and one of the things that we talk about is that kind of slingshot. So it's either taking a yeah. step where it's almost like a step back or it could be a step sideways, which, you know, might be into a smaller area or something, but then to slingshot forward. And that is exactly what you've done. You've gone from strength to strength to strength within the organization. Um, and just kind of stepping back. So we're, we're talking about playing the hand you're dealt. I mean, you have yes. been, you've been dealt an incredibly intelligent hand. Like, let's be fair. You are, you are an incredibly intelligent person. Um, so you're starting from a high threshold, but you know, you were dealt a hand where you ended up losing your father. And that was a big pivotal moment. Your mother then had to move back to the UK. So you had that huge culture shift. You go in back into education where you're thrown into an area where people are talking back to teachers. It is not what you're used to. And you have this moment of someone actually intervening. And that intervention was a huge shift again in your life. And you chose to play the hand you're dealt. And you actually decided, I'm going to follow what she's saying. I'm going to dedicate myself. You get onto this managerial program, you do GCSEs, knock them out of the park, you you, you go and do the uh, college, do well at that, go on the managerial program. And then you're saying at this point, you kind of, that's when you thought about your mom, but what was the reason for you that you left McDonald's? So yes, I can, I can understand how, you know, I work, I work at McDonald's, but you know, the CEO of McDonald's, when he says he's the CEO of McDonald's, no one's like, oh, wow. It's like, wow, you're the CEO of McDonald's. So what is it that made you kind of step from there and go to this financial institution? Was it just about the hours? Was there something about a bit about prestige and kind of how, how did, how did you process that? And how did you make that decision? I think it was a combination of a number of things. I know I flippantly said I thought about my mother for the moment. Um, I was at a point where I had been working there for four years and I wanted to think about what is next in my future. And I could not see a future where I was still doing that level of shift work because of the pattern um, of working required for a rest um, for um, a restaurant so but then at the same time I was thinking about a more stable working environment which I could be more secure in something more reassuring the nine to five if that if that makes any sense mm. so there wasn't any of this conflict and your weekends could be yours or you could really do and the other thing to sort of 
um, sort of raised at that point, I was starting to think about, is it time for me to go back to university and get um, and complete my education? Because in my mind, it felt like it was uncompleted, although I made the decision at that time that it wasn't appropriate to go. So I was exploring what kind of professional or role or job would allow me to have the time more consistent time to do that if I wanted to do it what would give me more security and consistency in the pattern of my life so I'm not working shifts and what what has the opportunity for future for me to grow in and with all of that yeah settled on the financial organization because all of that was possible with that direction which I didn't feel was um possible or what I wanted if I stayed with McDonald's so some kind of internal reflection to think about before I decided to move yeah and and I want to I want to just step back and make sure that we we pick up on that because I think this is really important is you looked ahead so you're on a road you're getting a good income you know they they've they've Mm. trained you up well but you kind of you looked ahead and you said where do I want to be and is this path leading me there and part of that had to do with the shift work. Part of it had to do with getting going back to university. Part of it had to do with other things. And people that are, are listening now and are kind of on a path and they're doing okay. And, yeah. you know, they're getting, it's, it's not a bad job. They're getting paid well. They've got the security or the structure, whatever it is that they need. I, I would just tell you, take a minute and stop and look ahead and do, I, I usually do 10, 15, 20 years out you know, more than that might be you, if you have some some lofty goals, you want to be president or you want to be prime minister or whatever it is, then that's fine. But and then backcast that and look and see if I want to be there in 20 years, what experience do I need? When can I what do I need in 15? What do I need in 10? And back backcasting that. So that's just one one little thing I wanted to pick up there. So you, you've moved over and you start off and you start in a position that you don't necessarily want, but it gives you the good uh, nine to five and you're learning some stuff and you've been guaranteed that there may be some options available to you um, that you can go for. So where do we go from here? What, what, what happens next? Um, I enjoyed it. I loved working as a customer service assistant in the lovely bank. Um, I was well looked after. I was the youngest because traditionally those roles were usually held by working mums or who started at 10 after they dropped their kids off and we finished at three um, when they went to pick up their kids. Um, so there was only a core staff who actually did the re- re- um, remaining hours the bank was open. They, I learned loads. I was, re- I was very supported by both my manager and assistant manager. They saw my drive and my passion to learn and they just fed it, which was fantastic. So it was a marriage made in heaven. And one of the things um, on that journey was that desire to keep on learning, to keep on improving, that got, again, another moment, another person in my life. Um, I remember we were going out for drinks after work and we're sitting down in the pub having a drink. And my sister manager, who must have been probably in her 50s, maybe at the time, and said to me, Sam, you're wasted here. And I remember thinking, oh, what do you mean? Am I not good enough? (laughs) And and she said, oh, no, you're more than good enough. What I mean is you you really should be moving on to the next role. 
you 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 can do this job already with your hands with your eyes closed go on we need you need to start looking at the next um role um outside the branch so yeah another moment for me to walk away and think and it might be something to do and I'm sure I read about how sometimes women probably in particular always need that little nudge from somebody else to say or to remind them that of their contribution and the great things they're doing for them to just suddenly have a moment of reflection and think oh yeah I'm really doing well but I thought that was great but what she's saying to me is yes it's great but you should then be looking to keep on growing and not feel just stay here to fulfill whatever this agenda is and so yeah pretty much I think the next um Monday I got in she said so what did you decide and I said yes let's do it and together we started looking for other roles and yet within about a month or two I was moving on to my next role in the bank and that pattern of sort of working in one role for maybe at the most two years then became the pattern really in organizations for me Gen- genuinely I've worked for um for the organization for quite a while now and in that time I must have done about 14 different roles in in the organization and sometimes quite uniquely different roles as well because yeah. that pattern of looking for the next opportunity when you've understood where you are to expand your knowledge to keep on expanding your experience your skills and knowledge has just become a pattern of behavior and I've been really privileged to be able to have the opportunity in this space there's there's a really interesting concept called the S curve and it's basically when you're moving on the S curve when you're kind of going up at the beginning you're learning your new role you're learning your new environment and you're you're being stretched massively and when you get to the top you're kind of in that sweet spot where everything's going well you know what you're doing and then you start to come down and actually when you're coming down it's when you almost get a bit lethargic you're doing the same stuff you've already know it all you know what you're doing and that's when you need to jump onto another S curve so either let's pick up another project or do something different or go into a new area. And it sounds like you have really harnessed that thought and have jumped from, from one, from one to the next. Um, so let me just, let me go back to the fact that you said that you've done a whole bunch of different roles in very different areas. That sounds like something we talk about in the skills that pay the bills around our transferable skills. So um are there any kind of notable transferable skills or anything you can kind of tell to our listeners who may be thinking about going into something really different is how do you actually make that jump? How do you make that decision to do something out of your comfort zone in a completely different area where, you know, maybe you're not going to succeed, you know, maybe, maybe this is going to be the one time when you, you're not going to succeed. How do you know you will succeed? I suppose the first thing is in my the way I approach it I always think what is it that you are good at Sam and root myself very strongly in that but also know that I am arriving into the space to learn and to pick up whatever the new skill or knowledge is so I'm always very open with people I engage with in terms of been really clear about what I am what I'm certain of about me and what I'm uncertain of that I would need their support with I generally think also there's an element of accepting that you may actually 
it may not work. Mm. That's fine. Um, because when I say it may not work, it's not that you will not work. What it is that you're about to do just may not suit you. But you will not know that until you try it. So I go and try things in the knowledge that I'm safe in what I know, but I'm also aware of the things I don't know, but I'm willing to accept that if it doesn't work out, it just reflects the fact that that is that particular situation and role wasn't for me, but that does not define my dis- and me as a person. I would just need to find the right fit for me by looking for the next thing. So I, I suppose I, I'm, I would say just accept ambiguity yeah. because you can't control everything. I love that so much, Sam. I think that is, I think that should be a mantra. We need to somehow make that pithy and stick it up on a wall so we can all read it every day. It does not define who you are, but you just need to try it out and you can move on to the next thing. And that's the thing. If you're a capable person and you're a high achiever and you're feeling stuck, go do something else. And if it doesn't work out, you will have learned something in the process as well. Absolutely. Okay. So the whole podcast is called The Undiscovered You. So I have to ask the question, what have you discovered about yourself in this process? During that conversation or just um, up to now in my life? <laughs> I would say I would say in terms of playing the hand that you've been dealt. So um, what have All you right. what have you discovered about yourself? I've discovered that just we were saying before there are many things in life that happens that there is no way you could control or you sometimes even foresee and there is nothing wrong in being rocked to your you know to your very core when it happens to you and you least expect it but what I've most learned though is to understand what it is that keeps me together pick that up and use that as my opportunity to move on to the next thing. So I suppose my journey in life has, has taught me that resilience is, is a skill that we all have to find to be able to survive the uncertainties that life throws at us. But also fundamentally, we need to know what it is that makes us solid, that's, that is the forming of our foundation so that when we do fall because um, unfortunately there are times we will fall you can't avoid it you just need to be able to know what those things that hold your foundation strong and reconnect with it so you can rebuild again that's amazing and the final question that we ask every single guest is what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given or you have ever told someone else or you've overheard someone saying to someone else or read on a sign? <laughs> oh, that's always a tricky one. It was the best advice. Uh, I, w- I will always say the best advice I would ever give anybody is to be open to receive whatever advice somebody's willing to give them. But then to walk away, think about how that matters to them and then find what they want out of it and then move forward. Because there are lots of great advice out and about. I always say to my daughter, find out what makes you happy in life, know what that is and know how you're always able to achieve it. Because fundamentally, you need to be able to do that regularly 
through life to make sure you are maintaining that happiness. So I've probably given you two advice there, <laughs> but it's a combination of both. Always be open. Yes. So always be open to, to accept the advice and then find out what makes yeah. you happy and keep that at the center. I love it. I love it. Sam, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, you are an inspiration and I've loved having you as a guest. So thank you for coming on. Thank you. I've enjoyed that chat. Thanks, Kimberly. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Please join me next week when I speak to Maisie Kurzy. She's a university student whose life took a completely different direction when she was diagnosed with an eating disorder at the age of 18. Please remember to subscribe, like, and comment below, and I hope that you're one step closer to discovering the undiscovered you.